Am I the first thought when you wake up? Is today, it, is today it, you were the first thought when I woke up. And that or was, was it Pete? Because you're like, shit, we've got a podcast and Matilda slept in. And no, I didn't set the alarm because my baby is my alarm. No, it was actually just more, I can't believe that she's uh, she was sleeping today. But it was more. Good one. Pardon? Good one. She's sleeping for you. Yeah, she was sleeping, but it was more just like today she slept in too much. Yeah. And usually because this And then possible... you yelled at her and now she doesn't know whether to sleep in or, or get up <laughs> early now. Yeah. Yeah, that's just just yell abuse. That's how you parent, isn't yeah. it? That's how I would. Oh, easily frustrated. Hey, well, yeah. If you listen to this and you're uh, <laughs> you're joining in, Pete, thanks so much for jumping on and waking up early today with Funny Business. How are you, mate? Hey, yeah, I'm really good. Thanks, fellas. It's a beautiful day up here in uh, Byron Shire and uh, big things to talk about, big things to do, lots of action and impact, impact, impact. Love it, brother. Well, we done the event, I think it was last year or, yeah, it was last year uh, at the Patagonia Melbourne CBD store where we done that business good for good event. And we also had you on the pod about a year 20, earlier 20. than that. Yeah. So we've been friends for a long time now. And I suppose CBIN's evolved as well since we since we first got you on it. Um, you know, initially you were talking about the story of, you know, working on the on the boats and on the yachts and, and making all that sort of stuff and then inventing the CBIN. But now it's just changed so much over time, hasn't it? Can you explain the evolution of Seabin? Yeah, yeah. It's like we've just gotten out of puberty and, you know, <laughs> got a few hairs on our chests and the voice has dropped and we've found our real, you know, purpose and position in life. Um, and because we, we started out, we thought uh, in, in 2016 and 2016 to 2020, so for four years, um, you know, we're like, oh, we're just going to clean up and this is going to be great. And then as we got smarter, we realised that, Cleanup is really important, but it's not a solution because um, you're not fixing the problem, right? You're just cleaning up, cleaning up, cleaning up. And so we wanted to fix the problem. We started to look at, you know, what is the solution to clean up? And it's actually prevention. You shouldn't have plastics in the water. Um, you know, we shouldn't have a need to put the sea bins in, but we do. So it came down to prevention. And then when we started to think about prevention, you know, what, what gives us the credibility to to prevent or to measure or to monitor things and it came back to data and so we still clean up but we um you know we, we've really got a really robust data program that we can present the impact of you know Coles, Woolworths, 7-Eleven like all these brands that are going into the water we know where it's coming from we're tracking it you know we're We've got all these insights. How do you know where it's coming from based on the barcodes and stuff? Like what what is it that you can tell exactly what store it come from? Sorry. Um, Some litter items that we can. So 7-Eleven is a really easy example. Um, You know, they they brand all their cups and their, you know, uh, straws, McDonald's and that type of thing. So we know it's coming from, you know, these brands, uh, branded litter. uh, So Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Mars bars, you know, that type of thing. Um, we don't, we haven't got the barcode reader out yet, but what we've done is we found there was two litter items, uh, two litter categories that is always predominant with like millions and microplastics and plastic. And it's um, the first one was uh, parking tickets. So um, on a parking ticket, you have the, the, the person of issue. So the city or the council or something like this. And then you have the time of offence and then you have the date uh, and then you have the cross streets. And so we started, we've got like 176 parking tickets and um, 
we found that 98% of the parking tickets come from the central business district. Um, so predominantly where like, you know, most of the humans are in a city, that's where all the trash is. And then we found only 2% of the parking tickets come from up the Parramatta River, uh, which indicates that, you know, not much comes into the harbour from upstream, but it's all generated locally. Um, the other uh, litter category that we found was these um, sycamore plane trees. So the, these big fat leaves that look like a maple leaf, um, most of the trees are in the city and the, tr and, and the leaves come down, go into the gutters where all the trash is, and then it goes into the stormwater drains and ends up in the water. And so I, I downloaded an, a, um, like a plant identifying app because we kept seeing it in the water with all this rubbish and stuff. And we're like, well, if we can find the trees, maybe we can find the original, you know, the, the origination of the, of the rubbish. And then I walked through the city just taking pictures of trees and found them all. <laughs> yeah. So, it, I mean, it, it's really obvious. It makes sense. Like where there's people, there's rubbish. And when you have more people, you have more rubbish. And um, it's the waste leakage that ends up in the stormwater drains that's filling up the harbour. And so, yeah, one plastic item every six seconds is what we're collecting in Sydney Harbour. A special thanks to MYAB2 for supporting this stream. We're here uh, Tuesday, 7.30, every single Tuesday, you know. We're straight off a long weekend today. We're up and at them. But, uh, in your face early. Are, are you liaising with the, the governments and stuff with this stuff? So you see that, the you know, it's not coming downstream or, or whatever. It's not funneling into that. Do you then um, educate or speak to the, to the governments there and just say, hey, this is what we're seeing. This is how it works? Yeah, we're, we're definitely trying to. Um, it's 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 quite a task speaking to the uh, government. It's like it's quite a lot of bureaucracy and you know formal. Like I don't know, it's like glacial speed to be honest. So, um, you know, we we were uh, working with uh, uh, speaking with James Griffin, who was the member of um, uh, member of parliament, who was the minister of environment and heritage. Uh, last year, um, unfortunately, with the Liberal Party, though, who just got voted out. Um, but he he had championed these amazing initiatives in Sydney Harbour that, you know, he's left his legacy, which is um, uh, banning the bags. Uh, so finally that happened in June last year. And um, and so we, we didn't have any formal arrangement or support from, from the government, but we just, we've been doing this on our own. So we decided... Okay, um, New South Wales state government's going to ban the bags, so we're going to count the bags what we collect every day. And so over twelve months, we found that there was a seventy-one point three reduction in plastic shopping bags. And they didn't pay us to do it, but this is essentially showing them, like, hey, if you're going to spend tens or hundreds of millions of dollars on an, on policy and legislation, you know, we are a monitoring device for plastic pollution in the water. And we need to get paid as well. So that was the freebie. But now it's like, well, how can we use this data as a commercial, um, you know, revenue stream? Hey, let's get into the part about like monitoring water quality and stuff. I know the products um, changed since the original just been in the sea. Can you go through maybe some of the the steps and the changes that have happened along the product life cycle of what it, where it's got to today? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we got a, uh, a federal government grant in 2020, I think it was, or 21, to reshore our manufacturing. Um, we, 
that, that was a big pivot for us where we were manufacturing in Europe and uh, our business partner was doing some pretty dodgy stuff, like fully just ripping us off and copying our hardware. And um, they actually used our own, <clears throat> sorry, they actually used our own distribution network to sell their own things that they'd copied off us. <laughs> Um, and that's, so that's brutal. Grass. I can imagine you would have, hey, thank you would have taken that well. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, it was a blessing in disguise. You know, it's like you give them enough rope, they'll hang themselves sort of thing. Um, they're probably dialed in listening. <laughs> they're looking for some ideas. <laughs> and, uh, but this gave us an opportunity to, to take like four years, uh, two years of product and design development and build a new C bin, which was, you know, kind of, semi-automated it had cutoff switches we built um we put uh digital water sensors into it uh we found these new pumps we all of the pain and suffering that we had with the first model we put into the second model um which was just epic and amazing and so um we made it a bit bigger we're getting uh one point no we're getting 481 million liters of water filtered every year from a single unit um and yeah, it's absolutely amazing. They're still solar compatible, the pumps. Um, and but the best thing was we put a modem in, like we we built so we built the hardware, the C beam that sucks in the water. Um, and then on the dock, we built this, uh, we called it the magic box because magical things happen and um that sort of thing. But it's got a modem in there, just a little 4G data card on a in, in on a modem, and um, and so that's cloud connected and and the idea is that the uh, digital water sensors are sending a readout through the modem into the cloud onto a dashboard. And uh, yeah, so we're, it's still a bit clunky. Um, we need to dial it in a bit more, but we're getting, um, you know, essentially live live stream uh, data from the water quality, pH levels, temperature, acidity, and something else that I could never remember when I'm put on the spot. Your, your magic box looks a bit different, doesn't it? Look? <laughs> That's called a glory box, isn't it? <laughs> hey, let's go. What about some of the stuff that, in terms of like as this has changed and evolved, like as Locke said before, we've chatted for a few years now and followed along with what you're doing and, and understand that you're like fighting the good fight. Is it still a challenge having these conversations with people when you've like got the answers? Like you're picking up the shit in the bin, in the rub. It's like, hey, you can't. You can't ignore this conversation. I'm holding the stuff in my hand. Have you seen behaviors change? Have the conversations become easier? Have you noticed a positive trend? Or is it still the same? Like, is is there opt? Are we optimistic today or not? I, we are optimistic. We have um, we have a pretty robust client list at the moment, and uh, essentially, we're you know the the private sector leads the way. And the public sector only sort of jumps in when they've seen like, oh, this is a good thing. People are backing it. You know, how about we jump on um, that type of thing? It happened with, uh, I think it happened with the, um, was it the carbon market? You know, they just sort of, people started doing it and saw it was come like, you know, quite a profitable investable market. Um, and then it needed to be regulated because there's too many cowboys doing some such shit. And, uh, and so what we're doing is, you know, we're pretty, like we're 80, I think we're 80, 85.2% um, private sector. That's our clients. This is BMC software, Oris watches. We got clients that have no, no ties to the ocean, but they want to support it. And, um, and then there's like 15, 15.8% uh, 15 
Uh, it was 84.2% private. I'm doing my maths now. It's 7.30 in the morning. Um, and it was like... It right. <laughs> yeah. Government. Uh, so Infrastructure New South Wales. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, uh, the City of Sydney came on board. Um but you know, it's it's it, it needs like we need to level up the scales. So we need more public sector than private sector because essentially, what's in the water is what the local, state, and federal government can't support to keep out of the water. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of arguments that we get, and it's kind of like sometimes I don't know they're just picking out the little details of something went wrong and forgetting about the bigger picture. That you know, we're getting hundreds of tons of this stuff out of the water that's like detrimental to our health and the economy um and they're like oh you didn't spell that right and some of the data is a bit like you know um i don't know just deflecting to weird things that you know they're really just dodging accountability and the issue of governance like it's just just so obvious but frustrating what what are some hot spots around Australia? So you, you're Sydney based, so I'm assuming around there. But is, what about any other places in Australia where it's just like it's a bit fucked up? Because I'm looking at the Yarra and I'm going dirty, dirty, dirty. Don't swim in there. Well, when, you know? when Lock and I went up to Sydney the other day, we saw the blue, beautiful waterways, and then we're walking around the, the Melbourne. You started taking your clothes off, going to get in. And it's like Rob, just chill out, bro. You know, I know it's good, but you, know, you just look at it. And then going you back know? to Melbourne, it's like black water. Yeah, that's like not good. So. It's it's really easy. Any highly uh, densely populated city uh, will have excessive amounts of of rubbish in the water. Um, when when you've got Melbourne, you know you've got the Yarra. Just some of the like well, I've seen pictures of the Yarra where it looks like you could walk across it because there was so much rubbish and crap in the water. And um, but then you got a couple of different types of rubbish. You got um, the inshore stuff, so that stuff that originates, you know, off land, and then you got um, the offshore stuff. So if you went up to, I don't know, uh, the Northern Territory or to the um, Gulf of Carpentaria, um, you'll start to see a lot of stuff on the beaches coming from um, uh, foreign countries like you know Asia and Indonesia and this type of thing. But the stuff that we have to deal with is it, it originates on on land from humans from us um but yeah any any major city that you go to um how does it get in the ocean right like i'm down the drains and stuff because i'm tipping not many people are in the in the water eating and then just dumping it in in the water there (laughs) how does how does it how does it all end up in there especially from other countries and shit is it just blown through the uh what are you know people just throwing on the ground is that what comes through or is it just is it like waste overflowing bins is it just people not giving a fuck and just like what or a mix of everything so the, the stuff that originates from other countries, uh, mainly developing countries, um, it, there is a, just a lack of waste services. Like they don't prioritise uh, plastic pollution as much as other things. Um, you know, they got bigger problems to worry about in a developing country, unfortunately, because you know that these rivers are polluting the world. But um, and so there's a whole bunch of things for a developing country. But for a developed country like Australia and especially using Sydney, um, you know, the water in Sydney looks pretty clean, but once you start looking into the corners and you start taking water samples, there is millions of microplastics in the water. Um, and, um, and so the way it gets into the water is um, predominantly mismanaged waste leakage. 
Um, I think James Griffin said something like 80% or 98% of the litter comes from the streets. So this is where people are, you know, people are commuting to work, walking around, having lunch in the city. Um, I've done this before, like a, a rubbish bin is full. So you just put it on top or you try and jam it in. Um, things fall off. You've got bin chickens that are pulling litter out of bins, uh, crows, you know, birds. Uh, you've got, you know, people having picnics and they might leave their stuff on the ground. Um, there's just so many things like uh, the um, uh, the garbage trucks are going around picking up wheelie bins and, you know, they're slamming them into the thing and then they pull them back and sometimes you've got waste leakage or that comes off. Some of the bins, um, the lids come off in a high wind or they get knocked over and then the wind pushes it around. And I, I think the most common um, I don't know what the word is, but people people think it's the marinas that, you know, all the boaties, the people on the boats, they're chucking their shit in the water. And and it's not true because the marinas, the people that live on the boats are the biggest champions of the water. You know, they, they want to live on their boat or play on their boat. They don't want to put stuff in the water. And um, the marinas are like these amazing catch points where all the crap that's floating around the water just captures and gets stuck in a corner. And then, you know, the common thing is like, oh, all the crap comes off the boat because it's in your marina, um, you know, which isn't true. But it's just so like the closest person to the crime is guilty, isn't it? That's what yeah. they're going with. Yeah, it's like, it's, you know, you caught it. And so it's like, oh, you must be the polluter, um, which isn't true. But so predominantly stormwater drains. So we operate, we've got 34 units across Sydney Harbour that operate uh, 24-7, 365 days a year. Um, and the data that we're finding is where we have a, a, a sea bin next to a stormwater drain, the, the volumes are just through the roof. And so stormwater drains are essentially super highways of rubbish that goes into the harbour. And so the what we'll see um, is in a worst case scenario, the assumption is that so you'll have a really a long dry spell um, so no rain and you've got still heaps of people, uh, weekends are the worst, more people are out and about, festivals, um, you know, people are using more stuff. Um, and then, it, it, you know, street swimmers come along, but stuff gets pushed into the drains. And so after, say, three weeks of no rain, you've got the drains, like got this little backlog, so that's happening. And then you'll have like the first flush, which will be a rain. It, it washes the streets, washes out the drains, and you get this big, like, uh, amount of, you know, litter comes out. It hangs around for three or four days, and then it's off out to sea. And so, yeah, stormwater drains. It's like when you, uh, obviously, as a surfer, you understand that if you've got the stormwater drains and the discolour of the water and, like, going out there, I hate going surfing after it's been, like, a big rain or something like that. I just feel like it's just gross i don't want to get sick i don't get an ear infection i don't want to get like you got the up and go in the sleeve you got the banana in the other one it's like just chill out no, seriously it's always something that i look at all the time and it's it's like when it happens you're like how could you actually stop this happening is it like other things is it like other netting is it bins further up the stream inside in the stormwater drains like what other things can be done yeah well we we got um the sydney water you know, sort of officers and staff and employees and executives down and like, look, you know, we want to we want to boom off this um, stormwater drain. We're not going to put a net on it because they tried that years ago and and I think it fills up, but then it floods all the streets because the backflow. And um, 
I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like we we like, look, we're gonna we want to boom it off. We'll put a sieve in there, and then we'll put our guys in a boat, and we're gonna scoop it all out. And they're like, they didn't want to know about it. So um, I don't know what the go is, man. Like, just no one wants to be accountable because, like, I don't know. If you're accountable, then you know you have to pay a fine or something, or like it's we well, gotta do I, something. It's such a bad attitude. Hey, Olivia's in the stream. We're pumped that you're waking up today with funny business. If you are tuning in or, or, or watching in and you have a question for Pete on anything to do with CB and Ocean Health, the good work, the good fight that they're fighting. Um, or just anything in general. Anything. Yeah, if you just yeah, yeah. want to say hi. Yeah. Just say hi. If you're sitting in bed, having a coffee, if you're having your morning poo, whatever you're doing. You we, just did. We want to know what you're doing. <laughs> so say hi to us. Let us know that you're there. But uh, that's what I want to say. But you're, got, you're going through a, a raise at the moment. Can you explain the last couple of weeks and, and how that's been for you guys? Yeah, yeah. So we um we we've created this like awesome business model, and uh, you know we're like we're just trucking along, and but we're kind of operating in a silo. Um. So so what we did was we stopped um we stopped selling the sea bins individually, and we we retained the ownership of that, and we so we employ people to then we'll deploy uh, fifteen to thirty sea bins in a city. We'll employ people to look after them. We employ scientists, and then we sell the impact to these private sector clients. Um, and included in the impact is all of the data. So you know, if you pay us, we'll say, you know, you, you've um, uh, the Dream Big crew have just supported 15 billion liters of water filtered. We've captured you know over 100 tons of microplastics, and you know we give you the stats, and so. This is the business model, but it's happened very organically. We kind of thought we were just going to sell services. And then, you know, people are like, what about this data? You know, the impact. We're like, oh, sick. You know, we're going to pay you. Like, wow. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, it kind of created this little market within a silo. And so now we've seen that, okay, you've got a carbon market that, you know, it shows that you can invest in nature. The principles of the carbon market is to repair nature and you're using capitalism, you know, it's investable, it's profitable. And then so um, what came up on the radar was, well, what about the rest of nature? How can that could be profitable? And so we've been chipping away at this for two and a half years and then all of a sudden this thing called the biodiversity market starts to pop up and it's talking about repairing nature. Um you know, using the carbon market as a proof of concept, you got the task force for nature-related uh, financial products, TFND, who built the carbon market, and now they're you know putting focus onto the rest of nature, and and so we're like, well, wow, like if we could, if we could get some more assets on board, more resource, more capital, um, we could really take this you know data model that we built in our little silo and open it up to the wider market, to the rest of the world. Um, like, well, you know, how do we do that? Well, we need to get some consultants on board, get some experts to help us design it, uh, build it, and and that type of thing. So we we decided we're going to do a, an investment raise. And, yeah, we're, we're, up, we're doing it with Birchall, the uh, equity crowdfunding platform. <clears throat> and we're up to day five or six or... I'm not even sure anymore. Can't remember. Um, but uh, seven hundred and sixty-eight thousand um, dollars from mums and dads and people that really care for the environment. 
Um, you know, there's 734 investors, so it's a touch over $1,000 per investment, uh, which is absolutely amazing. I love that. And if people want to invest, um, what, what is the minimum? Because I saw, is it 250 <coughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, $250. So I, I designed this, this kind of um, investment shareholding system where we need people to join CBN. We want change makers. We need more people to, to just join our mission because we're trying to change government. We're trying to create policies and legislations, and you can't do that with a single voice. And so the more voices that we get that can invest in CBN, the more impact we have the more cleanup we can do. And then we can start to lobby the like the decision makers and companies like McDonald's and Nestle and, you know, this type of thing. And so, you know, essentially it's like building social license and raising investment at the same time. You guys have championed equity crowdfunding doing a raise a few years ago. Um, what about is what about the whole notion of equity crowdfunding? Do you like <laughs> I, I just love that people believe in us. Um, you know, we, we we share the same agenda, which is we don't want to surf or swim or take our kids to the beach or anywhere in the water with plastic pollution. And, you know, plastic shouldn't be in the environment. It's kind of, you know, it's becoming normalised where you see it on the street and it's like, oh, you know, it's it's nothing different. It's not a surprise anymore. And it's like, it's kind of horrifying. So, you know, the biggest, most heartwarming thing is that there's thousands of people out there just like myself and the team and that, you know, they want to do something for the environment. And we found that there's a lot of investors that have never invested before. They will, they've always thought about it. They'd heard about it on the news, you know, the ASX and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the connotations for me before we started this was if you're an investor, oh, you must be like millions of dollars and all that sort of jazz. And, like, how did I bring that? Like, the challenge was how do I make it more accessible? And so $250, you know, you might spend more on the weekend taking your kids out or, you know, going out partying or dinners and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so it was kind of mitigating the risk of, um, you know, the the buy-ins, 250 bucks. So I don't know what I've waffled a bit, like when I'm a bit tangenty, but I think it all made sense. We love waffling, Pete. It is a podcast. Sometimes Rob forgets that too. Sometimes you give the short answers and you're just like, hey, Rob, you want to hey, just extend a little bit? I forget my answers. At least I don't know if I forget my name. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what about doing, putting, where's the craziest CBN that you've put? Like, what's the craziest location that, that a bin exists? Oh, like, so in the old model, we, we scaled into 53 countries in two years. Um, and the craziest thing that happened was there was this like big fat cat dude on this huge, huge motor yacht that I think his wife saw a video of a CBN. He's like, let's put one on the back of the boat. And so you got this like 30, 40 meter super yacht that's probably worth like $100 million or more. Um, and when they pull up, they put this CBN on the back of the transom, so the back of the boat. And it keeps the water clean. And so they're doing their, you know, they were doing their part. So that was probably, that was probably the wildest one. <clears throat> um, Volvo Ocean Race, they took a couple of sea bins around the world. Um, sorry, I got a frog in my throat or something. But uh, yeah, so we had two sea bins that traveled the world for a year, um, like going to Rio and uh, where was it? 
South Africa and all these other countries. And yeah, that was pretty wild. What is it about the ocean for you? Like, um, but the purpose behind the whole thing, like your whole life's mission now is, is to clean up this fucker. So when did it all start? Like the passion for, I want to do this. So I know you're a big fan of Patagonia and, and all that sort of stuff. Was it sort of the origin there? No, it, it, it stemmed from not giving a shit, like not, not, not giving a shit, but it stemmed from not having any purpose. Um, I was in, uh, I was a product designer. I was designing these products and, you know, there was no real purpose to these products other than to boil your eggs and toast your toast, which is kind of purpose. But um, for me, it wasn't enough. And then, so 12 years of boat building was just working for billionaires that had these like pissing contests with you know seven to 12 million dollar yachts and they'd race them you know six times a year and and it was like us you know, maybe going for a surf or going to play golf or racing our bikes or something and it was just billionaires just sort of i don't know trying to outdo each other with their racing teams and you know i worked for company uh racing syndicates that had um i think it was like 220 million euros just to race boats and it was like this is really cool, but what the fuck, you know, where's the purpose in this for me, you know, for them, it was racing and, you know, bragging rights and all that shit. Um, and, uh, and so it just came down to like, I, I knew I was, I didn't have much purpose that I'd built in and I was like daydreaming or oh, maybe I could go to Africa and help kids and, you know, dig wells and do all this sort of shit. And then this Seabin thing came along, which was, like it's not even my idea. The the inventor was uh, Andrew Turton, um, one of the boys that I was working with, and and essentially that kind of became my light bulb moment, and my purpose point, because I could use my engineering and design and CAD software, and I could build things like I was doing with racing yachts. I could be my own boss. I could be on the water. I wouldn't have to wear shoes if I didn't want to wear shoes. Um, I could make an impact. I could help the fish. I could. Um, you know, help the oceans. And so it all just came back to not physically going out looking for purpose, just being aware that I didn't have much purpose. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of how it... How I it love that, brother. I love it. What about the next step? The next few years, like, you can obviously move gone so fast. Even come so fast since it started. What are you excited about for the future? Well, what we're excited about is like I like people are going to think I'm fucking crazy or something, but I believe that we have the power, CBN and our community and our shareholders to change government. We have the power to create policy. So we're all, you know, everyone's like screaming about, you know, we need to ban this and do that. And we have the power using our data from the cleanup to say to 7-Eleven or uh, Kinder or Nestle or fucking Arnott's or McDonald's or someone like you guys have got so much shit in the water with your name on it that you need to start paying for this cleanup. Like, so McDonald's turn around and say, um, fuck yeah, it's got our name on it, but it's, it's our clients. It's the people that are eating the Maccas that are chucking the shit. I'm like, we don't give a fuck. Like it's got your name on it. You're facilitating this negative impact on the environment you'll never have control of your clients. There's always going to be some dickhead that litters or some bin chicken that pulls the shit out of the water. And so branded litter is this huge indicator of like how we can have 
power over these companies of if you don't support cleaning this shit up, your, your, your shit's going to get banned, you know. Imagine if you couldn't buy a 600ml Coke bottle or Sprite or a Fanta or fucking something like that. Imagine if you couldn't get, uh, imagine if like Cadbury dairy milk chocolate bars got banned. Oh, Pete, I don't know if I want to. I don't even know if it's worth living anymore. Yeah. I, lo- I love I don't chocolate. Know I, yeah, I don't know if I can support Stephen anymore. If you, if you, know, you, you, you get Cadbury banned. <laughs> oh, see, see that, that's not the way it works. It's like. Yeah, you know, we should be supporting Sebin to get the impact from Cadbury, 100%. so that they can keep selling their fucking chocolate that everyone loves. I love it. Um, you know, otherwise they're going to get banned. Like they're going to, there's going to be product lines that are like removed. Um, I found out that Coles, uh, Coles supermarket sells something like 270 million of those fucking red dot plastic bags. And they're 15 cents each, so it works out to be about $40.5 million of revenue from selling these plastic bags, um, the thicker ones. And so imagine those thicker ones got banned. All of a sudden, Coles is down $40.5 million per year. Like, that is fucking catastrophical. And so what I think um, some of these big brands, these branded litter people need to do is the accountants need to take over and say, hey, if we don't sort our shit out, you know, we're going to lose $40 million a year or we're going to use lose hundreds of millions of dollars a year. You know, product lines get shut down. Um, it's in their best interest to start cleaning up and start supporting people that are doing cleanup. And we've got branding the data for These companies are listening in. They're all, everyone's going to come out with nude branding. There'll be no branding anywhere. They don't want to. It's <laughs> like, um, it reminds me of, you know, when you see all these criminals and they're wearing like Nike tops and Gucci. I always wonder, like, wonder what the people who work there think. Like they, all these people are committing these crazy crimes in their clothes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, and you're like, crimes. fuck, they're walking down all branded up. And like, like, I'll be like, the brand exec, you'd be freaking out, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um. But, you know, we, we've got so much data that it's like, guys, you know, you you could redesign your packaging, right? Uh, so Mars Bar or KitKat, for example. Um, Mars Bar and KitKat redesign their packaging. They've got paper, um, paper wrapping coming out. They've got recycled content. And their shit is still in the water. It's just in a different package. Um, so a, a paper sorry, a paper um, bit of packaging from, say, KitKat or Mars Bar, it's still in the water. It's still going to choke a turtle. It's still branded litter. It's still polluting the environment. It's just not as bad as straight plastic. And so you, recycling, you know, we, we need recycling. We need people to adopt it. If you, can recite, if you can recycle glass and aluminium, why the fuck can't you recycle plastic? It's because humans are lazy as fuck and we, we, it's a new problem and, you know, we're... we're we're still catching up um but you you can't recycle the way out of the problem of of litter because you've got humans you, you can't change your packaging to fix the fucking problem because we've still got humans there's always going to be litter so you change a you, you change a material on the packaging you've just got a new litter category um does so, green annoy you like i feel like this is something that even like my perception of this over the last few years, I remember when we first started the pod, I was 
not more passionate about the world. I'm still super passionate about the world and hope it's in a better place. But I see there's a lot of noise out there with people who are doing things or starting stuff up that literally they're not making any impact. You know what I mean? Or or people are doing something that's already been done and instead of them just teaming up with someone else, they're, they want to do it for themselves. It's like people like doing a real it. ego thing. Yeah, yeah, it's like self-interested eco warriors. And it, whereas like what you got, what you're doing and the stuff that we're talking about here, it's like these are real tangible stuff that if we change things, it makes life better you know what i mean but there's a lot of ah yeah. uh, it drives me nuts i can't even consume the content anymore with seeing some of the companies that try and pretend they're doing stuff it's, it's it grinds your gears doesn't it i just think you're i just think they're scumbags yeah. in the nicest way possible they're scumbags that dress nice and want to pretend they're doing good <laughs> yeah it shits me like it really really shits me as well but um you know i'm like fucking captain optimistic kind of guy and and so what's the positive of that robbie though well, at least the there's still people doing stuff and they're still trying. People are trying. No, even the dickheads that are greenwashing, what do you reckon the positive of that is? Besides, at least they're trying to do something that they're thinking they're putting good in the world. I don't know. What do you, what do you yeah, got for well, us? I, I reckon most of them are just devious as fuck and they don't give a shit. But what they're seeing is there's a trend in consumerism, right? And they're seeing other people supporting and doing it legitimately. And then you've got these like evil fucking corporates that are like, well, you know, hey, let's get on that so we can sell more things and we can bring um, we can bring other people's values in and, you know, we're just going to pretend we love the environment and we're going to save the fucking rainforest. And and so what it is um, is, like, you've got these corporates cottoning on that consumerism is changing and, you know, supporting the oceans and the environment is now a marketable, it's now a thing. And, and if you want to sell more shit, you know, you, you you jump on board and unfortunately their values are not in it and they're, you know, executing it like dog shit. And, um, you know, it's it's greenwashing. But the positive is that it's becoming a thing to support the environment. But you just got these assholes that are trying to cheat the system. So, you know, I'm getting fired up and I've only got... Hey, it's good. I am liking this. Like, it's about the passion. You know what I mean? It's about the passion. You're allowed to be real here on the on the pod. And hey, we're going to be wrapping up soon too. So I know there's a few, there's a few people in, in the, on the live stream now. So if you have any final questions for Pete, um, get in now or forever hold your peace. So um, right. special yeah, thanks yeah. to MYB supporting this stream. As we said, uh, 100% live. We're here 7.30 a.m. every Tuesday. Doing this end not- of financial year, so you can sort yourself out with MYB. They got you. They got you sorted. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that. Hey, yeah. well, if people are looking to get involved in the Seabin Rays and and want to learn more about what you're doing, how can they find the info out there to read up? I'm sure you've got a lot of stuff they can um, listen into and and hear the great man speak. <laughs> well, uh, just hit our socials. Go to Seabin Project on Instagram. Seabin on. Um, Facebook, cbin.io on the internet and uh, LinkedIn, obviously, cbin, just cbin, just Google the shit out of it. And uh, everywhere we've got links, um, you know, we've got this investment running. Anyone over the age of 18 can invest in cbin for as little as 250 bucks, unless you live in Russia or China or North Korea, I think it is. Um, and just jump on board. We need more people. We need, you know, we, we, we need to lobby brands and government and we just need more people um, and we found that it works. So have, have we got enough time to run some, like, some statistics? You yeah, yeah, get, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's your favourite thing, isn't it? Let's, let's nerd out on some stats. Righto. 
So I'm just going to read off here a little bit. Where are we? So plastic bags. Um, so hang on. So uh, soft plastics, we catch 1,101 every single day in Sydney Harbour. Um, this is uh, soft plastics. It could be like the uh, the clear uh, plastic packaging of Siggy butts, uh, Siggy packets, um, chip packets, and this type of thing. So five percent of what we're collecting is branded litter, and the so the number one um, chip packet brand that everyone loves the, that we predominantly find is Smiths. So Smiths Chris. Um, we started to look at the not-so-fun facts of what we called it. And um, the top three chip packet flavours that we're finding in the sea bins um, is cheese, is number one, cheese-flavoured chips. So Rats. Rats. Twisties or fucking Doritos or, you know, this type of thing, cheese and onion. Uh, the second one is really vanilla. It's original. Um, so uh, original flavour. The third most... Commonly found um, flavor is uh, what was it? Salt and vinegar. Um, so sour cream and onions not up there at all. Um, so the, uh, the 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 top brands that we're finding is Cadbury is number one, followed by Mars. Um, so Mars is um, obviously Mars bars, Snickers, extra Maltesers, M and M's, Twix, this type of thing. Um, the third one is a company called Perfetti Van Melli. Do you guys do you guys know about them? No. Who are they? They make Chopper Chops. There you pops. go. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. The uh, the the top flavors of Chopper Chops. Can you can you take a guess? Yeah, I reckon uh, cola. It's got to be one. It's got to be one. And what's the strawberries and cream? Surely. <laughs> I reckon you've cheated. You've seen this. But is it yeah. really? Yeah, it's an equal of cola and strawberries and cream, 40%. He's a, oh, he's a sugar fan. I go to the reject shop a lot, Pete, and I'm looking at the flavours <laughs> all the time. It's extra milk, right? You know, the top flavours are Mentos. Uh, you want to take a stab at that one? The blue and the tropical, for sure. The fruit ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mint and fruit. Yeah, that comes in equal. Um, and But the thing that freaked, oh, didn't freak me out, so uh, Nestle come in at number four, but the fifth one is Coca-Cola. So. They're not doing too bad, Coca-Cola. Um, Cadbury, uh, on the other hand, they're up the top. But um, top chocolate bars, can anyone guess? Number one? Well, it has to be a Mars bar. Oh, no, it's uh, not Mars. I reckon, I reckon it's a Boost bar. Oh, what are you saying, Robbie? Oh, I like Boost, so I don't, I don't really think, I don't anything have, else. I don't have what? You can't think of a chocolate <laughs> bar. That's all you eat. Think of anything. I don't have anything. I got nothing. Snickers, Mars bar. No, nah, it's, it's Cadbury. Yeah. I've got nothing. I can't think of any other Cadbury chocolates. I don't know. Oh, from? This, this one's a little bit different. So Cadbury win overall, right? But uh, the actual chocolate bar, the uh, uh, who wins this is uh, Kit Kats. So Kit Kats yeah. come in at 17%. Mars bar comes in next. And then uh, Cadbury dairy milk comes in at uh, uh, number three. But, well, I feel uh, like I, if we rewind back a bit, like we have to fix this problem because I can't have these items being banned. <laughs> you know, like, that's half yeah, my diet. Like, that's half my diet. Oh, it's just the whole, like the whole foods thing, where they just put it in the tub, you know, and you just put it, you know, you just grab it. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. no packaging. It's just old school. You like that look and feel too, I, don't I don't you? Know, that. You feel well, well, Pete, thanks so much for jumping on and, and waking up early and running us through some of these stats. And if you listen 
uh, listening to this pod uh, later on and you still want to get involved, I think Locke will have all the details for yeah, uh, everything in the show notes yeah, of yeah. this episode. So jump jump in, have a look. And, and again, special thanks to MYB for supporting the stream. And um, thanks again to Pete for jumping up and all the good things going on with CBIN. Yeah, thank you, guys. And, yeah, thanks, everyone. And, yeah, check us out if you want to invest in impact and become a change maker and just join the mission to repair the planet. Yeah.